Hello and welcome to the My Hope Story podcast from Hope Community Church Balanok. Stories of hope all about Jesus. Who are we? Okay, so welcome. This is another episode of our My Hope Story podcast. We are talking today with Andy Matheson, mm-hmm. uh, one of the church planters at 20 Skeens up in Dundee. Yep. So it's great to have you with us, Andy. Glad to be here, mate. So what we've been doing here is basically having chats with folk who have come to the Lord mm-hmm. and just want to share that story, where you grew up, mm-hmm. um, how the Lord's work in your life, how you came to know him and what the Lord's kind of doing now. So just very tight and short. Oh, cool. Fine. No bother. <laughs> um, so Andy, tell us... Right, so then where did you grow up? Um, what was your family like when you kind of when you were so, growing up? I am the, the poorest posh boy in Twitch schemes. Um, <laughs> grew up in Mulgay. Which is, if we don't know about Mulgay, it's one of the poshest bits of Glasgow, right? Which it is. But I grew up in a council house in, oh, in Mulgay with no money. Right, so first. Um, yeah, so, bit of a back of set. Um, yeah, grew up a uh, Christian, I said this earlier, I kind of. Half Christian home, for want of a better word. Um, the top or the bottom was Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good, good idea. Um, yeah, my mum was a believer. Uh, grandparents knew the Lord. Um, Dad's not a believer. So, kind of grew up mainly being taken to church by my grandparents on a Sunday, stay over night and a Saturday, and my grandparents and then go along um, to church with them. And then my mum uh, came back to the Lord when I was about 11. So, kind of seriously walk with the Lord since. Um, so yeah, house was divided uh, in, in the gospel sense, but I have known the true gospel from my early stage. Like. What type of church was it you were grandparents so, taking you to then? So, Little Brethren Church. Um, um, that's, that's their background, you're a classic gospel hall yeah, yeah. style. Did you go to the Sunday school? Yeah, like Sunday school. Good got, got chipped out of the Sunday school, got into trouble. Yeah, you're Causing trouble. I can't imagine you causing trouble, I mean. I was... Just a mess, <laughs> like ADD'd out my tits. So uh, just a mess, yeah. causing it. But yeah, familiar with the gospel uh, and the true gospel from. from and do you remember uh, what you thought about it that day? It was just a thing you kind of get forced to do. Or? I mean, well, when I was little, I probably thought it was true. Like you know, you're that's what your your world is. That's what you're you're taught. Um, so that, as I got older, I was disinterested in doing what it said. Mm-hmm. I, I never. There's never a time in my life where I kind of considered myself an atheist mm-hmm. or, or kind of didn't believe that there there was a God, um, but I certainly wasn't interested in Jesus or doing what Jesus said. Um, just wanted to be like everybody else, wanted to fit in, do the things the lads did as I got older. Um, you know. So you're saying you kind of mum was a Christian, dad wasn't? Like, do you remember that being? Like, you think that was hard for your mum? Like, or, as you a kid growing up in that house, was, did you see a conflict there? Yeah, or? I mean, there, there definitely is. And, and you know, to this day, mm-hmm. there, there is a fact. Um, you know, my mum's backslidden when she marries my dad. Um, you know, my dad can honestly say, you're not the woman I married. Mm-hmm. Because she's not. She has become more like Jesus, and he's not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a reason Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. Right? Because you end up, one of you looks like Jesus, and the other one doesn't. And... There's a conflict. You love different things. You love and ultimately serve different masters. And it's hard and it creates a, a conflict in the house at that point where there should be the most basic unity. Um, and so, yeah, it's really hard for my mum and, and any other people I know who are kind of in that kind of marriage. It's always been... And yeah, very... I know, like, you speak, I know you're my wee bit, that 
it, she worked hard for that not to be a... No, she's, you know, bold. Uh, my dad's not hostile in the sense of, kind of, you're not taking my kids to church, etc. He's not going himself. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, there's been kind of flirtations mm -hmm. with church and, and with Christ at times, but, you know, himself ultimately is more interested in work mm -hmm. uh, and, and success than... Than, uh, than Jesus, um, but you know, unusually for that kind of home, all of us, myself and my two sisters, are converted. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that came kind of the long way round. Mm -hmm. um, my sister Alex was converted when she was young and, and has walked mm -hmm. all the way. But myself and my younger sister um, had a more kind of roundabout route. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we knew the gospel both of us from our youth, and when we were older, we didn't have talked from it. So. You know. And oh, it was a happy family as well, right? Good, yep. they were good home. Good upbringing. Yeah, great stuff. upbringing. All of the things you'd, you'd want, kind of stable, kind. Good. Dad's a great provider. Yep, so there's no issues in that kind of way. Um, yeah. So. And so when do you remember kind of stopping doing the whole church thing with the grandparents and, and maybe more taking like, kind of steps away from that kind of stuff? Just high school would be the kind of most... You know, it wasn't really a fundamental change. I'd still occasionally go along to, you know, the, the youth club or something at the church because there was girls at it and, and stuff like that. So it wasn't, mm -hmm. you you would completely wouldn't go to anything. Yeah, yeah. That's what I but. But you had to do whatever you take to get girls, right? Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, you do what you can, <laughs> but um, let's say it was, did they say it worked? Right? <laughs> like, uh, you can incapable of talking to them when you got there, but they were there, right? <laughs> but you know that—that's the reality. You kind of do that. That's you know not too distant from you know many people's kind of backgrounds. But high school is the point at which I kind of turn in another direction. I start smoking pot when I'm twelve. I you know start my what would be a kind of slow descent into drug addiction. And so what, what um, did that like? How did that come about then? Like young guy at twelve, when people are thinking that's a lot very young. Maybe not, it's but not like, how did that, really that like, come? How'd that come about? Just pals, as as with everybody. I, unsurprisingly, in some ways, or or surprisingly, some. It was my pal from the rich school that had it. He went to the posh boy school. He had pot, and we were in Killarney and hanging out together and down the woods. Mm. That was it. Um, I had lots of rejection issues as a kid, and so maybe kind of growing up, the first part of my life without a dad, whatever nonsense it was. That kind of caused it, but first time I get high, I stop feeling sad, uh, and so it becomes a thing I chase, uh, and so that is probably we we'll see what's the difference between a guy that ends up in addiction and the guys that I smoke pot with. Mm. First time is I think that experience it meets a need in you initially, and then you're always chasing that need, mm. and so for me that was the kind of beginning. Um, and did that become a regular thing then, from like doing with your mates? Yeah, yeah. And then just it, it begins to shape your mates as well. So you, you all know the guys that got high and were potheads at school. That was my friends. You know, like you know, you, your your kind of peer group becomes what you are. So two groups of people you kind of hung out with, and guys that played football, and the guys that got high, and that was it. Um, and so that was my journey. Um, that kind of intensifies into various other things. So as you're going through school, were you like? Capable at school, were you doing like were you exams? Were you enjoying the school, the school life? Were you able to function as a pothead and this? Or? No, I'm a, I have mad ADD. 
so struggled, got into trouble all the time at school. Um, maybe part of the kind of self-medication idea as well in there. Mm -hmm. But no, that was all happening. I was just carnage. I was expelled several times. Mm -hmm. Just was what it was. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bright. That wasn't like a, any, there was no difficulty yeah. issue. It was more behavioural mm -hmm. and couldn't be bothered on this mm -hmm. uh, that, that caused it. Um, but I'd chucked school emotionally by the time I was like 14. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was just waiting to get out. Um, which came a few years later, but yeah, I was done. And so, um, as you're approaching the end of school, is kind of drug use and that, has that been escalating? Yeah, it's escalating, it's moving on to kind of your party drugs, etc., your pills and, and other things. Um, and I'm beginning to cause carnage in the house. My sisters are eight and ten years younger than me. I am problematic as school ends, you know, 16. By 17, my parents are like, you need to go. Um, so I ended up being put out of my mum and dad's house because I'm bringing carnage to the door, mm -hmm. dealers, other such mess by that point. Um, heart breaking for them, hard for them to do, right, ultimately, not that I was a fan of them <laughs> or their decision at the time. Um, but yeah, that was done. And so I went from Mogai into the kind of the homeless system of Glasgow, which is, uh, if you know, much on it, you don't get uh, council houses uh, in the nice bits of town. You don't get council houses, Mogai, <laughs> on the free, uh, unless you are, you know, very pregnant and yeah, leather Mogai, yeah. uh, which I was neither of those things. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up in a wee scheme at the back of a Kirky called uh, Hillhead. Um, and that was, that was which me. Which is funny enough, there. like where 20 schemes are working just right beside that now, Hairstains, yep. right? Yeah, Hairstains is just down the road, I know. It's where I ran about, I knew all, I still know most yeah. of the guys down there. I actually don't know who's doing this, so I should actually probably, <laughs> I could help them out <laughs> by knowing everybody. Um, and so, yeah. like, so life at that point, was that just kind of spiralling from there? Like, yeah, just... Uh, abandonment issues, you're saying, and then you're throwing <clears> out your house, can't be in a good place, the drug's not helping that either? No, like, exactly. And so, really, my connection with my family, other than with my mum, is done from that point. Um, make friends in the community that are there, but it's just the other guys that spend all the days getting high and spend their weekends getting smashed. Like, that's it for me. You know, from 17 through to 23, my life is smoke pot, get smashed at the weekend, take lots of Charlie and, mm. you know, rinse and repeat. And um, you remember having a belief in God? Were you ever, was it ever moments of being like, what's going on here? Like, what are you here? Kind of moments of, I mean, one of the things that, kind of long story short and in that sense of what brought me into 20 schemes in the end was that I spent five years in a scheme and didn't hear the name Jesus unless it was from my mum like that was it I was there just the only person that talked about Jesus to me was my mum never heard Christ's name unless it was just you know thrown about uh, as a swear word yeah so you know that reality struck me when I got converted um but that was it, you know, made my pals, lived. And in, that was four or five years of just... Yeah, five years of kind of a spiral into mess and worsening, you know, addiction. Um, and really, that just kind of cycle of boredom that is addiction. Like, you think you're going to be a rock star and you're going to live that life, but it's just that sort of same doer misery mm -hmm. again and again and again with spikes of 
stupidity that happened in there that made you think it was funny mm. at times, but yeah, just awful. Are you um, working at that point? Or? No. Government I am a yep, government-sponsored drug addiction. I've managed to get them to sign me off uh, as being mental. Um, I had bipolar disorder. They signed me off. Got uh, the sick ideal. Mm. Plenty of money through that and used that and kind of supplemented it by being dodgy, as you do. Mm. Um, so. And so five years. What brings you to the bottom of that then? Like what's are you just I think just I didn't even realise I was at the bottom of it in that sense I when I'm 23 get the opportunity as I said family contacts really are minimal during that period other than I'll go home for Christmas and you know see my mum occasionally Um, my mum gives me the opportunity to go away with her to Menorca in Spain I'm thinking great right I can go and just two of you yeah just the two of us and go get high in Spain be ideal in the warm rather than in you know hellhead <laughs> in the rain so I'm going 23 I think that's what I'm going to do that's my plan get there um, don't instantly seek out anything um, drinking but not to excess which kind of end up over dinner having a conversation with my mum Um about the reality of where I'm at in my life. She's, my mum's a counsellor, uh, and she's kind of sharing some of her experiences and, and work. And she talks about someone doing, that does something, not by name, of course, but just a pattern of behaviour. Um, it's actually using certain bits of music as they use, mm-hmm. or listening to certain bits of music as they build up, and it's to using, and, you know, as my same, you know, my weekend starts when I start listening to certain kind of albums on mm-hmm. the build up to kind of Thursday mm-hmm. uh, and that's the build up to the kind of the carnage of the weekend and so that conversation sparks into you know a long couple of hours conversation of me just kind of spilling my guts about the reality of where I was like do you think you realised how dark it was at that point did you want to get out of it or no I didn't I didn't realise it you know yeah but by the end of that conversation I remember saying you know I'm just I've got nothing left. I'm dying. Mm. Like recognizing that just this is it. I'm just on a loop, mm. and you know what's going to happen. You recognize that is you're going to OD or you're going to get to jail or you're going to you're going to die. Mm. Like one of these things is going to happen. And I remember saying, I don't know what to do. And my mum, being a wonderful West Coast uh, Glaswegian, <laughs> says, "Don't talk pish. Like you've no more to do since your youth." You need to repent and believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to do it. Like, you just like, slap, slap the idea right <laughs> yeah. in my head. Like, this idea of you don't know what to oh, do. cuddle me, tell exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> no, you do. You just you know, take responsibility and repent and believe the gospel. And I'd heard those words a hundred billion times growing mm-hmm. up. That day they cut me in half. I went back to my room that night in Spain and sat in the dark and prayed, you know, God help me, save me. I went to bed an addict, I woke up clean. Good lord. Converted, that's it. It's been, you know, that since, never used again. But more importantly, known Jesus every day since. <laughs> uh, woke up hungry for God's word, bought over my mum's Bibles and started reading Romans. 
that was it. Like genuinely, from there, like three weeks later, I was in Bible college with you. That's mental. She must have been buzzing. She was, but she was calm. Yeah. Like she kind of inside. She must have mental, been. But yeah. If you wonder why I was such a carnage case when I got to ICC, that's it. I was like <laughs> ten minutes clean. Um, how on earth the end drug addict converted in three weeks around Bible college? How'd that come about? Because I didn't have anything to do. Like I, like so I went back home, cleaned my house, cleaned it out of all the carnage, realised it was a tip. Right? I mean, this is the things you don't realise. Um, began to kind of tell my pals. You know, love Jesus now, I'm not going to take drugs with you anymore. She was met with, that's good for you, but you're mental. Yeah. Right, so that happened. Um, and then, you know, I hadn't worked ever, really. I mean, my dad had tried to get me jobs and I'd worked at McDonald's when I was in school and stuff, but never did an actual day's work in my life. Mm. Still haven't done an actual proper day's work <laughs> in my life. I mean, you exactly, exactly. Right? exactly. Um, but, you know, like a non-job, like, so go along, my mum's done some courses and I'm like, you know, I'm interested in Jesus now, so let's try this Bible college thing out, was the thing. And I just wanted to do something, so I thought I'll take a couple of classes. And I've got no qualifications, of course, because I dropped out of school. So Ted Herbert, as you may know, was, was a legend, said, here's how we'll do this. Uh, you pass the classes, you can stay. And we'll use that as your entry requirements. And so I go in there, man, the first time I get there, I'm just sat at the back quiet because I think everybody's smart and knows stuff and I know nothing. Then you see Pete Bell and you're like, oh, they must know. They must have been like, well, you think that, but no, it was like, actually, you know, there's just people talking. And then he did these tests, uh, Ted Herbert, uh, and I used the first one, like, 100%, and realised, okay, so I'm not thick. <laughs> Began to be my understanding, like, okay, I'm actually, there's a bit of a brain here. Mm. It turns out it was just being. Yeah. Numbed for years and kind of wasted, and that was the journey. You know, it was ups and downs, and and so church at that point. Like, are you committed to a good church? Is there? Go to my mum's church back in back in Glasgow, and um, you know, from there, as as I go to ICC, I meet a few guys. Meet Ian Kennedy, Kenko. He's mm-hmm. church man in Glasgow now. Um, you know, these are where I begin to discover the names. You know, Mark Driscoll and John mm-hmm. Piper and Mark Dever and all mm-hmm. these guys that start to consume reformed theology mm. and become a different kind of basket case yeah. for a while that needs... And like, how, did, and how did that journey come out? Because ICC would have been very broad. There would have been some people that would have been reformed. Like, yeah, there was a few. Would, but not probably many, to no, be honest. there was probably like, about five of us mm-hmm. in that sense. But Did you just be like, what's the biggest nutcase Christian thing I can do and then go to reformed theology? Was that the kind of thing? You know, it was... <laughs> ICC was full of people, most of whom love Jesus. Mm. But a lot of them had come from that kind of, like, I'm trying to figure out what I think about Christianity, it's been my life. Mm-hmm. Whereas I had come from a Christian background, but I had carnage. And now Jesus had saved my life mm-hmm. and turned my, my life upside down. And so I'm not questioning the Bible, I'm like, that's true. <laughs> like, and I became a Calvinist because it explained what happened to yeah. me. Yeah. Like I just remember reading, you know, God saved you, he intervenes, he doesn't. Of course, that's what happened to me in Spain. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what happened. Right? I didn't go to Spain and think, I'm going to go there and become a Christian. Mm-hmm. I went to Spain and think, I'm going to go take more drugs in Spain. Yeah. Right? And Jesus went, no, you're not. And that's, that's what happened, right? Yeah. So like that kind of reform yeah. theology explained my conversion. Yeah. Like, it was like, aye, right, <laughs> that, that's, that, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you're reading you know, Romans, and you're like, oh, that's, 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 that's,
<laughs> that kind of that explained it. And then it was just for me, there was lots of people questioning the Bible, questioning their faith, questioning that. And then the Reform guys loved Jesus and they loved the Bible, and I needed that. And you know, Reform theology became a safe place to stand while I figured out the rest. Mm. You know, I was that close to becoming a Presbyterian, but Lord saved me again. <laughs> you know, um, all these Can you do a things. podcast without mentioning that? No, is that, is that just what I'm asking? It's just, it's, it's now become a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, but no, it was like all of that thing was, was there and that was just my journey and then... But you didn't, you didn't complete ICC? No, I, there? I wasn't ready. Like I was, you know, the Lord gave me a kind of grace period in that first year, but my head was still a mess. The reasons I became a drug addict were still there, and I had to work through them. It started into relationships that I wasn't ready for, emotionally or mentally. And I would be, I didn't know how to keep my house clean, man, let alone, you know, date. Yeah. You know, like, so all dating was to me was an attempt to get laid, so I don't know what I'm doing here, right? So, like, needed time to, to work out my carnage of. So where did you do that? that? Well, I I mean, there was that, and then they brought Brian McLaren into ICC, which I had a meltdown over because I'm like, I'm paying you money, and this guy doesn't love Jesus, and <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm stopping, I'm not paying you any money anymore. So I left, like, in that thing. But I'd also had a breakup and other things there, and I'm just like, toys out of the pram, <laughs> so I'm not going back. Um, so all that happened at the same time, and I used McLaren as an excuse, so that was ideal for me. Um, but, yeah, that's fine. Where did you end up after that? Went to Cornhill okay. uh, and studied there, and that was good for me. It was just guys that loved the Bible, loved Jesus, and talked about that, and just spending that time there preaching and yeah. figuring out that. And that was beginning to be when, sort of, kind of, okay, maybe I'm going to preach yeah. in the long run. And then eventually went down south to Maroons, and there finished off and met my wife, and, you know, kind of. Went to do my placement and I was going to talk to the I-29 guys that I knew and go on placement with them. And then one of them said, you know, this guy McConnell. I said, no, and ended up in Maisie's office in Edinburgh. And, you know, just oh, never that. forgiven Steve Robertson for sending me to Maze since. And you were, the, <laughs> you were the first, yep. like, planter to be trained yep, in, first. in midriff to be sent out through 20 yep. schemes. Yeah. Like, how did you find that? Because like, I tried to give you still courage in many ways, but that was back in the well, day. Well, we were just, I mean, I, I kind of, we went in, and to be fair to me, from the beginning said, you guys are the guinea pigs, right? And we'll figure it out as we go along. But they were always good with us, loved us, treated us well. And yeah, it was carnage, but it worked. You know, we went to a place that wasn't a church, and there is one now. Uh, that's, how, that's how it goes. Has it been plain sailing? No. But... You know, you look, I was saying this the other day, you can sit and you can kind of have those moments of downness. You know, if you've got another excommunication, you've got another, somebody's went off mm. on one, and you sit there going, man, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you have that conversation with your wife when you said, it was you and me in a room and on our own. Mm. And now it's not. Mm. And you go, okay, God's good. Right. So that's it. So you just keep, keep going. Right. Like you spoke a little bit about some of the like kind of issues you were dealing with, manic depression. You've, you've noted before yeah. when you were using. Like, did those things then just go away when you were saved? Or no, depression stuff's always been a, a battle. Um, I don't kind of have the manic periods. I'm not. I've, there's part of me that's not sure if I have 
bipolar in its classic form. Mm. I definitely have ADHD. Um, mm. There's a thing called um, oh, what's its name? Um, it's basically a sympathetic disorder off of ADHD that often gets misdiagnosed as bipolar. Okay. That I discovered a while ago. I'm like might actually be that. So what is that? What's that like for you? Like, well, just I mean, I have battles with depression, the same as that's, that's it. it's called rejective sensitive dysphoria. Is, is the is the thing? I'm trying to remember it. That may be what it is. Um, I have either way. I have periods of just not wanting to get out of my bed, feeling crap. Um, I've had them on and off through my teens onwards to today. And how long would that maybe go on for at a time or? Depends how long I am allowed to wallow in self-pity. Um, that lessons... The more kids now, you've got, the less time you're allowed to do that, The more children you have. And have you've got, wife, what, five now? Yeah. Five kids. <laughs> having a wife, having friends that are invited into your life who will boot you up the arse until you get out of bed and stop being, you know, all about you. Mm-hmm. Helps. Having the kids helps. It's, it's hard to wallow in self-pity when somebody's jumping in your head. <laughs> um, it's not impossible, but I've managed to do it. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that reality is there. Uh, does it go away? No. There are times, yeah, this job will make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel it at times. Um, like, you know, like anybody that's passed up for a while, I don't know anyone that's not felt miserable mm-hmm. in it uh, due to either our own sin or dealing with mm-hmm. the sin of others. Uh, if you find that hard as a pastor, do you think there's this kind of unwritten rule that pastors shouldn't really struggle with that kind of stuff? or? Yeah, this is the unwritten rule that says, you know, we're meant to have our ourselves all together and be the button-down ones. But then you look at the guys in the Bible and they're all a mess, so you <laughs> can't feel better. Like David is that close to being bipolar and Jeremiah is miserable. And, you know, Paul seems up and down. And so it's all right. And then Spurgeon was a, a head case that had to go away to France, you know, once a year because if he didn't, he was going to put his head in an oven. Like, so... <laughs> Some of the greats were a mess, uh, and I'm not one of the greats, so I'm always a bit messed too. <laughs> right, so that's that's how that's how it works. Um, and God's graces, and, and ultimately that's the point, isn't it? That he uses losers because it's not about us. Um, it's about him, and he looks better when he can use even you, <laughs> your mess. Um, that's so, the point, George. Yeah, play right, right. That's it. For sure. So. I remember you're like you were going to title your first sermon when you launched. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like the one in Matthew about you thought your family was bad or something? Oh, you thought your family was mental, which yeah, is yeah. Uh, it's, it's first sermon on the, the genealogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus' family. Exactly. Go through it, you have all sorts of carnage people mm-hmm. sacrificing their children to Moloch, people yeah. <laughs> like bumping people off in order to steal people's wives, all sorts of uh, messy silliness. And yet the Lord's grace kept it. Yep. Like, have you felt like having your kind of bag of the story the Lord gave you, has that helped in your ministry now as you're in the kind of scheme community where there's maybe more prevalent addiction kind of stuff, or is it just... It helps. It, it makes... All addicts are liars, right? That's a fact. I say that as somebody who's spoke lies as a second language. Um, you're harder to bullshit, like, if you have an understanding of that background. So it allows you to cut through some of the the sort of preamble of nonsense as you build the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of go, right, uh, once they know your story, they kind of back up a little bit on the... It doesn't mean they're going to instantly start telling the truth, but 
you get less of the. But you know, they can't pull them over your yeah, so much, and so you have a an easy thing. You have an in, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, does it make it easier? It gives you a contact point, but it sends a mess, and you know it doesn't make just because you have that in. Mm-hmm. You know, unless the Holy Spirit moves heart to heart. That's the whole thing, isn't it? We often say addiction is just simply idolatry anyway. Yeah. We're all addicts because yep. we're all idol worshippers. And, yep. um, and yeah, I do think there's something like the whole legion thing of like the Lord saving you somewhere to send you back into that mm-hmm. kind of mess. There can definitely be a lot of fruit that comes from that. You guys, mm-hmm. your testimony of that, yep. which is great. I've not had that background and yet I believe the Lord's at work here yep. as well because you say he uses losers and we're all yep. losers and yet it's about his grace and the gospel and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Shining the light in broken jars of clay so that we can see the light and not the jars of clay. Yep. Sweet. Well, Andy, thankful for you, man. Just Cheers. again, really awesome to hear the Lord's grace in your life and to see yep. him put you through that and to kind of break in at your lowest and save you and just the growth. Yep. Um, hopefully you're still growing too, eh? But That's it. <laughs> um, so. But no. Thankful for you. Thank you for sharing. Yep. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the My Hope Story podcast. To find out how you can have your own hope story, go to www.myhopestory.co.uk.